Okay. Um, hello, Ashley. Thank you, everyone. Um, I am Cliff Smith, the Washington Projects Directors uh, of the Middle East Forum, and we are here today for another edition of Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. Uh, we will have um, about uh, 20 minutes of him discussing um, current events in Israel and the wider region and how it affects uh, America's interests and values and the values and interests of our allies. And then we can have some audience questions. Uh, Ashley. Go ahead. Thank you very much, Cliff. Uh, good evening from Israel. Um, we thought we'd take a little bit of a different uh, direction tonight. Usually we talk very internally about Israeli politics and how uh, they affect uh, what's going on and the news that's coming out. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the international issues and how that affects Israel, how they're being seen. Uh, from within Israel. We'll start with Ukraine, which is really the issue on the international uh, agenda, certainly on the uh, uh, global diplomatic agenda with the just sort of, you know, wave of leaders uh, who have been in the region, whether Ukraine uh, or Russia, we saw the French, uh, we saw the Germans, we saw the British before that. Um, interestingly, today, uh, the Brazilian uh, Bolsonaro, President of Brazil, was uh, was uh, in the region. Not quite sure what Brazil, what role Brazil are going to play, but it just shows that everyone sort of wants to get involved. From the Israeli point of view, actually, Israel doesn't want to get involved. Israel has uh, good relations with both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, obviously, Israel, the size it is, with the geostrategic value that it has, is not going to change minds, is not going to be a major diplomatic player on either side. And as I said, has to have good relations with both. Obviously, when it comes down to it, Israel is very, you know, most certainly in the Western camp. Uh, it sides with its uh, allies, chiefly the United States and Western Europe, especially on these kind of issues. Um, obviously, it's not a, a, a member of NATO, but it has very close relations, certainly uh, diplomatically and on defense and security issues with many NATO members. Um, but it's really trying as hard as possible to stay out of this conflict. It has been asked by Ukraine uh, quite uh, frequently in recent days, recent weeks, to get involved, to, to, to send a strong and sharp message to the Russians that this is unacceptable. I'm sure Israel is not the only country, but it is felt that Israel does have some leverage here, um, that Israel certainly does have an interest here chiefly because of its Jewish communities and even Israeli communities. In Ukraine, uh, there's reportedly 15,000 Israelis, uh, I believe tens of thousands of Jews, uh, not sure exactly the number, but 15,000 Israelis, and they have all been told in the last week to come home. Apparently 6,000 have signed up with the uh, Israeli embassy in Kiev for what's been called emergency sort of um, airlifts, uh, but it seems the majority are not wanting to come at this point. Today, it definitely does seem that we're a little bit further away from imminent crisis. At least that's the way it feels, and that's the sort of messaging that's been displayed. So perhaps that's dampened uh, some of the expectations. There has been criticism from the Ukrainian Jewish communities that the Israeli government isn't doing enough for them, as opposed to the Israelis and some of the schools that you can imagine the Jewish schools and the Jewish communities have a lot of Israeli volunteers or, or uh, what's called um, national service, uh, you can do the second year of national service abroad in Jewish communities, and there's a certain amount of them. So for many of these people, uh, you know, they're going to want to take themselves and their families out. 
the Jewish community is very critical of this. They say it's such a crucial time for children and their communities to be left without school, to be left without community leaders. Um, and they claim that the Israeli uh, education uh, lead, you know, the, the, the decision makers in the educational ministry and others have threatened the teachers that they can't stay even if they want to. Some claim that they would like to stay. Uh, they would lose their rights and whatever because the Israeli government has uh, made an official policy uh, uh, to return home. There were talks of Israel uh, removing, like some other countries, removing its embassy temporarily from Kiev more to the western side, to Lviv. Um, I'm not sure if that's officially happened. Our embassy does seem like it's uh, uh, you know, on, on a very skeleton scarf, like I'm sure many um, uh, embassies are. All the while, you know, Israel has to maintain good relations with Russia. There's a sizable Jewish community there. We have uh, sizable interests with Russia. And where it really sort of this conflict really uh, came home was in today's exercises in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, there's a big argument exactly what they meant, but uh, the Russian Navy uh, has or is holding uh, a major drill in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, with bases in, in uh, Syria. Um, perhaps some have argued that this is saber-rattling, a way to sort of, you know, perhaps if Russia aren't going to invade, just to sort of show that it is still a major force and it has tentacles elsewhere. As we know, Russia is very active in Syria and even the defense minister, this is really what uh, raised a few eyebrows in the middle of this international incident uh, between Ukraine and Russia. The Russian defense minister is in Syria meeting with President Bashar al-Assad and overseeing these maneuvers in the Eastern Mediterranean. So this is something that Israel certainly is watching very carefully because this impacts Israel uh, far closer than anything that was happening on the Ukrainian border because as, as we know, what goes on in Syria is of great interest to Israel with uh, Iranian elements there, with uh, the Hezbollah elements and what's happening uh, in Lebanon, uh, which moves me to the next um, uh, you know, interesting global uh, development, and, and that's Iran. Uh, before we turn to the possible uh, signing of or return to the JCPOA, um, Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah, while this is all going on, uh, secretly, because, you know, we don't see him come out of his bunker much, but secretly uh, he traveled to Tehran. Uh, they had the anniversary of the Islamic Revolution, um, but it seems to be more of that. The message seems to be as, as we've explained uh, in recent weeks, Hassan Nasrallah has certainly not been saying the type of things that would make the Ayatollahs in, in Tehran feel easy. You know, they see Hassan Nasrallah very much as a sort of puppet or at least, you know, a crucial element in their deterrent policy against Israel. But he's been saying quite a lot recently that uh, Lebanon is our interest. We won't necessarily follow Iran into war. We won't take our orders from Iran. That, as I have said, is mostly for domestic consumption. Hezbollah is a very tricky spot in Lebanon at the moment. Uh, Lebanon is really uh, you know, a failing state in many, many different ways. The economy, uh, the social order is really uh, in upheaval. And Hezbollah have been blamed for much of this. The explosions of ports and, and other things and, and uh, sort of clan and uh, different sort of militant group uh, internecine warfare in, in, the, in the streets of uh, Beirut. So, Hassan Nasrallah has definitely taken that into account. He's usually a good reader of Lebanese public opinion, and he's very much been uh, touting his credentials as a 
Lebanese first. Um, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why Iran has summoned him to Tehran uh, to give him the message because they are still worried, constantly they're worried. Uh, and as we get closer possibly to the to Assani and JCPOA, even more worried that Israel may strike uh, the Iranian nuclear program uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, and they want to make sure that their northern deterrent, Hezbollah, very, basically an army in its own right, we've talked about it being bigger than, um, more sizable than the average European army. Um, so uh, certainly Tehran want to make sure that despite what Hassan Nasrallah is saying publicly uh, for domestic consumption, that he is still very much under the control of Tehran and he will still act uh, as the Ayatollahs want, uh, want him to, uh, when and if uh, necessary. So, you know, a lot of these issues are very uh, you know, interconnected. Israel, as I said, is not a major player in diplomacy, but it has to look after its interests and it's seeing what's going on around it and very much is thrust into the middle of this. All, the, all while this is going on, another player in our neighborhood is Turkey, very important player, uh, significantly weakened economically uh, in recent months, even years, uh, massive hyperinflation. Uh, and a lot of commentators are, are, are stating that perhaps this is one of the reasons why um, uh, the Israeli president is being invited by Erdogan uh, to Turkey at the beginning of March. That's you know quite a change about for the last, I don't know how many years, Israel and Turkey have downgraded relations. It's been a very cold relationship. Uh, the, the rhetoric that's come out of Turkey, not just from the decision makers, but also the opinion shapers, uh, the Turkish government controlled press and others has really been extremely antagonistic, if, if not more. Uh, than that towards Israel. So um, it seems that they do want to reset and leading this will be uh, this meeting uh, in Ankara between uh, President uh, Erdogan and President Herzog. Uh, this week, uh, very close uh, advisors to Erdogan were in Israel uh, to, you know, to sort of uh, set the lay of the land before the meeting, as sometimes does happen, especially such an important meeting probably to go over what the expectations are the meetings, what's going to be said at the meetings. So it's clearly going to be a very, very significant event. And Erdogan has been saying all the right things of late. Um, but the interesting thing that uh, was released today is that, uh, you know, the one thing that Israel has done as this um, cold relationship has just grown between uh, Israel and Turkey is it has uh, augmented or, you know, uh, uh, improved its relations with uh, Cyprus and, and Greece, especially this uh, oil uh, pipeline that's uh, been touted for the Eastern Mediterranean, which has annoyed the Turks uh, tremendously. So to sort of assuage their worries that um, this rapprochement between Israel and Turkey will come at a cost to our other allies, uh, it's clear now that President Herzog will be traveling to Cyprus and Greece before Turkey. So that's, uh, that's also interesting. Uh, some developments more closer to home We've seen a bit of an uptick in uh, tensions around Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, those who remember last year's um, Operation Guard in the Walls, uh, Hamas uh, you know, launched rockets. Much of it was um, came off the back of tensions in Sheikh Jarrah with the uh, legal situation of certain houses there that are actually legally owned by Jews, and the, you know the court system has ruled that they should be returned uh, to Jewish hands. And 
there's been a lot of tensions there and that sort of snowballed whether you, it depends who whose version you buy whether it was just an excuse or really whether it does uh, incite tensions or not uh, the fact that now tensions are up again they, they started when uh, a, a Jewish family that lives in the area their house was firebombed or even uh, tried to be burned down and we have Itamar ben Gavir of the Religious Zionist Party, probably the most extreme right of all Israeli members of Knesset, who once again returned his uh, constituency office uh, to Sheikh Jarrah. Obviously, you know it's it's not his real Knesset office, but uh, you have a right as a, a member of Knesset to set up uh, office in various other places. So he set up there. That caused quite a bit of rioting. Uh, the uh, some of the Arab antagonists in the area saw that this is an opportunity and certainly uh, tensions were raised, even Itamar ben Gavir apparently fainted as he was forcibly removed by the police. Uh, and the question that some commentators are trying to grapple with is whether this will lead to another round of fighting uh, and if, any, if there is an interest. Hamas obviously have jumped on this and they've condemned it and they've called for a reaction, but they have stopped short of the sort of language they used last year before. Uh, launching rockets uh, at Jerusalem. They do like to use Jerusalem very much uh, in the propaganda, but the difference is last year, uh, you know, they, they focused on the Temple Mount. Uh, it was the time of the, uh, uh, you know, the annual flag dance. Uh, there was uh, conflicts on the Temple Mount, so it was much easier to rally support because the Temple Mount is a, a burning issue for Palestinians, especially uh, Islamist um, uh, you know, groups uh, in Gaza and even in Judea and Samaria. Um, it's doubtful whether Sheikh Jarrah has that sort of cachet as the Temple Mount. So at the moment, we're not seeing uh, too much reaction on the ground from the major, uh, you know, terrorist organizations. Uh, terrorist organizations. We are seeing individual uh, or even mass demonstrations, uh, and anything could happen. All it takes is one little spark to have things spiral out of control, especially in Jerusalem. But it doesn't seem at the moment that either side have an interest uh, in making this anything more than it is. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, finally, quickly, the coalition, it's having problems. Uh, we've spoken about this a lot recently. Not necessarily problems that are going to lead to disintegration, but the ramifications that were mentioned a, a few weeks back when there was all these negotiations over the citizenship law that we talked about, Ayala Shaket, as interior minister, trying to pass a law. Uh, that would end the sort of so-called family unification. Uh, well, Ram are starting to uh, buy back uh, the Islamist party uh, in the coalition, and they have decided today, and I believe even on Monday, um, that they're not going to vote with the coalition on uh, coalition laws. They are going to vote with the coalition to thwart opposition laws, and they did so today. Uh, again, you had that, you know, I think every week you just have them. Uh, the, these scenes uh, to try and embarrass the other side. And, and again, you had uh, scenes today of the most extreme right-wing elements in the government, in, in the opposition, I should say, who were uh, you know, frantically voting for a bill submitted by the Joint Arab List to build uh, more Arab towns in the North. You know, these are the sort of things that they would never vote for in a million years. And here they were frantically making sure that their votes count. So we're back to those sort of scenes where it doesn't matter what the issue is, doesn't matter what the ideology is, the coalition is voting with the coalition, the opposition with the opposition. 
except Ram at the moment is certainly uh, trying to make its presence felt, trying to show its displeasure. I don't think this is going to be a major coalition uh, crisis. They have to look like they are reacting to some of the things that the coalition, the right, more right-wing members of the coalition have done in recent weeks. Um, but it's mostly uh, put out as previously by lower, uh, lower down members uh, of the Ram list. It's not Mansour Abbas himself. Um, so it remains to be seen as long as we hear Mansour Abbas not getting too uh, frantically uh, involved in any of this, I think uh, this will just be what it is. It will be a reaction uh, to save face, to show its constituency that it's, you know, that it's standing up for its rights, et cetera, et cetera. So um, as I said, that that's the situation today. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on anything I've said or anything else that's on your mind. Uh, excuse me if I'm going to butcher this name, Ashley, but uh, a man named Merhadad Konsari says, there have been press reports of an Israeli delegation in Vienna meeting with the parties involved with the JCPOA negotiations. Can you say something on this and explain what exactly would be the objective of such a mission, uh, should this be true? Right, well, I think to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time that Israeli officials have been in Vienna during this round of negotiations. So they're taking it very seriously. The feeling in Israel is uh, that we're at the end of the road here, that, uh, that negotiations are coming to an end, even though the French again said, you know, we want this done in a matter of days. And if Iran stalls, then it blows it all up. But that's sort of, I think that's, you know, sort of last minute trying to, uh, trying to just get as much as you can into it. Um, it does, it, again, the view from Israel is that the agreement will be uh, signed, the JCOP will be returned to. Uh, the Biden administration has given every indication that it wants, it wants that, whether it's uh, the resignation of more hawkish members of the negotiating team, whether it's the, um, the removal of certain sanctions against uh, Iranians, uh, in the lead up to this, but it does seem like it's uh, really just uh, sort of uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And that's perhaps where the Israeli delegation is coming in. Perhaps there is a feeling that there are certain gaps where they could be useful and try and at least get their point of view across, really just to see whether there's something that can happen. The Israelis are, are worried about this agreement. It's certainly not longer and stronger uh, in any way. That was the promise uh, originally. Uh, Israel, Israel is uh, worried that it's going to be a, a weak agreement and giving the Iranians too much is not even going to be, you know, along the lines of the JCPOA, which would keep the Iranian uh, nuclear breakout uh, to a year. We're down to weeks or very few months. So we're in a very, very different situation. Israel is, you know, some of the main issues that it would like to bring at this late stage, knowing that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's power to, you know, to, to, to influence is relatively minimal, is to try and see if something could be done on non-nuclear issues as well, you know, on the proxies in the region, you know, we know the Houthis in Yemen and Hezbollah and, and some of the other groups and what Iran is doing, even in Iraq, um, and just sort of, you know, making sure that everyone in Vienna uh, on the side of the P5 uh, plus one, including those which are less sympathetic to Israel, uh, the Russians and the Chinese, are aware of what's going on, on the ground, giving them uh, all the information which Israel finds uh, necessary to tell them. Uh, you know, it hasn't just been a diplomatic mission, there's also been defense and security um, and even intelligence officials to make sure that everyone has uh, the right information. 
But as I said, the, the view from uh, Jerusalem is pretty pessimistic that it, a deal will be signed, a deal that will not be good for Israel. Um, but there's a last minute trying to see what can be at least sort of gained uh, in the final moments uh, before probably an agreement is signed. Understood. Uh, Peter Chu says, you mentioned the Jewish community in Ukraine. Is there a comparable Jewish community in Russia that's likely to affect any Israeli positions regarding Ukraine? As I said, the, the Jewish communities in these countries are not necessarily the primary uh, areas where Israel would decide what its diplomatic position is. Israel uh, will certainly try and separate its concern for the Jewish communities um, with what it needs to do on the diplomatic stage. There are sizable communities um, in both, in fact, two of the largest, larger communities uh, in the world. And don't forget uh, in Israel, Israel has many citizens of Ukrainian Russian uh, background. So that obviously plays into it as well. Many of them who still have families remaining. So that may play into it, but it certainly will not be the primary thinking of Israeli diplomats when it decides its policy. Um, other than to try and do as much as they can to aid uh, and assist them. There has been talk even today, I, I saw that the, um, the Ministry of Immigrant Absorption has actually offered, has put out a, a, a possible program to invite uh, uh, you know, members of the Jewish community in the Ukraine to come to Israel for a, a couple of weeks or a month holiday if hostilities should emerge. Uh, at the cost of the state. So it is trying to do as much as possible. At the end of the day, we have to remember uh, in diplomacy, uh, these are not Israeli citizens. Obviously here I'm talking about uh, the Jewish members of the Jewish community are not Israeli citizens themselves. And you know, there's only a certain right you can do because at the end of the day, you know, that matters and you can't interfere too much uh, in what the citizens of another country do or need. But certainly Israel is taking into account uh, what is happening on the ground in and around the, those Jewish communities. Uh, an anonymous attendee says that there is a report that the U.S. has scuttled the natural gas pipeline that Israel, Greece, and Cyprus have agreed upon. Could there possibly be another source of funding for this project to avoid ameliorating the Erdogan and Turkey? Um, there certainly has been concern about it. Uh, I think mostly for environmental issues or environmental concerns, uh, which have also been raised in Israel. Um, it remains to be seen what effect that will have. Obviously, you know, American backing or, you know, uh, antagonism towards a project of that size will certainly have an effect on it, uh, but it's not dead yet. And perhaps that's also going to be on the agenda when Herzog visits uh, uh, Greece and Cyprus. But perhaps um, with what's going on in Turkey, perhaps that will also play into it as well. Perhaps uh, that's part of the charm offensive that Erdogan is now doing. You know, we saw, we saw uh, uh, him in the UAE as well, you know, which is a new peace partner of Israel and one that certainly is, um, uh, you know, cautious, to put it mildly, towards Turkey in recent years. So part of this charm offensive may have to do with that. I, I don't think it does, that's my particular view, uh, but I don't think the pipeline deal is dead and buried just because of, uh, uh, what America says, but it certainly makes it more difficult. So, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Okay. Just looking through. Um, 
if Nord Stream 2 is shut down, what role can Israel play in supplying gas to Germany instead of Russia? Not much. Um, you know, Israel is not the alternative. There, there are other alternatives touted out there through Europe uh, or through other ways, but Israel, Israel doesn't have, Israel can certainly uh, assist, but as, as you said, it's not, you know, the, the, the program is nowhere near ready. So it's not going to be an immediate alternative and it's certainly not going to be uh, an alternative to the needs of uh, Europe if there should be a problem with, uh, or, you know, the threat, even though it's not, it's never really been used by the Europeans, but the threat remains of shutting the, the pipelines from Russia. Um, but Russia kind of knows that Europe doesn't want that to happen because uh, it would be more of a problem for Europe or just as much of a problem for Europe as it is for Russia. But certainly Israel is not going to step in and be an adequate replacement for, uh, to, to, you know, for European needs instead of Russia. Do you think there is, I have heard talk about uh... Qatar potentially um, working to replace uh, Russian gas and the eventuality the pipeline was shut down. Does that have implications for Israel? I haven't heard that. Qatar are not uh, necessarily one of those countries. Obviously, we don't have relations with them, and Qatar are more in the Iranian camp uh, than the sort of the rest of the sort of more pragmatic Sunni world. Um, Certainly, Israel wouldn't look kindly on that because of its malign influence in the region. As we know, Qatar have, uh, you know, uh, have relations uh, with Hamas um, as well as the Iranian uh, elements. So certainly, uh, any growing influence uh, by Qatar in the region certainly wouldn't be good for Israel or its uh, newfound allies. Um, some. Shabad spokesmen have suggested that Israel is not prepared to help uh, any Jews who may be stuck in Ukraine since they are not really interested in, in Aliyah. Any truth to this? This is from David Levine. Well, I think that just returns to the point I made before. You know, Israel, Israel is limited. Israel is the Jewish state. Israel does provide citizenship for uh, Jews around the world. And any Jew who wants to come to Israel from Ukraine, Russia, America, or anywhere else is able to acquire citizenship. Uh, but until it does so, it's in a sort of precarious situation because it can't actively be seen as, uh, you know, assisting Jews or let's just say citizens of foreign countries, you know, has to be very, very careful here. You know, it can uh, be seen to assist them, aiding them, and it's doing what it can to a certain extent. Um, much of it, they're sort of uh, giving over to uh, private or non-profit Jewish organizations. Uh, many of them are stepping in and trying to help as much as possible. Um, but I think it's a little bit unfair to expect, you know, a foreign state to do too much because although, again, you know, Israel does see itself very much as the nation state of the Jewish people and it does provide a shelter for any Jew who needs it. Uh, but until these people become citizens, Israel's hands are diplomatically tied to a certain extent. But Israel is trying to do as much as possible. Um, they have uh, various uh, things that they can do when a community is quote unquote in danger. And uh, the foreign, I know the foreign ministry, the diaspora ministry, the Aliyah, uh, and the immigrant uh, absorption ministry, they are trying to do as much as possible. As I said, with that caveat that diplomatically, there's only a certain amount you can do.
Uh, last question, I think, is from, and I might butcher this name as well, Jose Enrique um, Montecaro Cama. Um, I don't, it might, it might not be the full last name, it actually trails off. Um, Algeria has a lot of natural gas. Because of conflicts with Morocco, the um, pipeline through Spain, um, through Morocco is closed, but it still has a great deal of resources. Is there anything the US can do to deal with uh, Morocco and Algeria to supply Europe? Well, that's, that's pretty far outside my own expertise in, in yeah. sort of North, um, uh, North African geopolitics, but it is, it is uh, you know, it's a long-standing dispute between uh, Algeria and Morocco. Obviously, Israel now has uh, re-established relations with Morocco, um, and part of that has always been seen, as many of the other agreements under the, the rubric of the Abraham Accords are with this understanding that now they'll have better relations <coughs> excuse me, with, with the US and, and much of the West. I don't know how that plays into this particular issue that's, that's mentioned by the, uh, the question, because as I said, I'm, I'm, it's just too far out of my expertise. And, under, and thank you very much for your time here, Ashley. Thanks for all joining us. Uh, we've come back next week for more. You can also join me and Professor Robert Kaufman to discuss um, conservative and, and liberal approaches to Middle East politics this Friday. And just in general, keep on eye in your, your mailbox and our website for more webinars. Thank you again for joining us. And again, thank you very much, Ashley. Thank you.